0: preaching to the two of you. I always preach first to myself. And then I have two. Well, that makes three. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is in the midst. Amen. 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 Well, we are continuing in the series of praying apostolic prayers. You know, prayer is so critical, so important. And uh, there's nothing that Satan will fight you more on than praying. Because he knows that once you get on your knees and pray, and once you talk to God, you are, uh, you are activating your lifeline. And you're going to do great exploits for God. You're going to walk in victory. You're not going to let the enemy defeat you in any way because you're in touch with heaven. So the, you know the enemy hates the people of God being in touch with heaven. And so we need to learn how to pray and how to pray effectively. And one of the most effective ways that we can pray is to pray the Word of God. And we've been looking at the prayers of the apostles in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul has been writing to several of the churches this morning. We are going to look at his prayer for unity as he prays for the church at Rome. And very interesting, Valerie, I don't know if you know, but Valerie has been blessing our church. as She's been posting on our church page, and she actually posted our text. And I said, thank you, Lord. I needed that confirmation. So uh, did we see that, that slide, that beautiful slide, or wasn't I looking at the screen? Yeah, there it is. But we'll go to uh, that passage of scripture in Romans chapter 15 and reading verses 5 and 6. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that with one mouth, with one voice, this church, this body of believers would come into a deeper understanding of what it means to be like-minded So that we can praise you with one mind and one voice. Holy Spirit, I need you. I cannot stand in this sacred desk without your touch. So I pray in mercy you would give me your touch touch these lips, anoint these lips that I might speak only what you would have your people hear and touch the ears of every listener in divine presence. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The prayer that we've prayed often seen as a benediction, as a prayer of benediction, that you will hear sometimes pastors closing their service in, is really a prayer that all of us need to be praying. We need to be praying this prayer because it is a prayer against division and strife in the body of Jesus Christ. As we look at the church in this 21st century, We're really looking at a very sad state of affairs because on so many levels, the church of Jesus Christ is so fractured and it's no surprise because for centuries, this has been the state of the church. The enemy is at work, but I'm so glad and I need to say it lest I sound too negative this morning. Satan will come against the church, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that company that is walking in alignment with the Word of God, that I am of like mind and one accord, and we together with other saints of God are in alignment with the word of God so that we can advance the kingdom of God and continue to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. But sadly, in the church of Christ, down through the centuries, there has been fracture and division. It began soon after the day of Pentecost. Do you realize that? You know, the enemy wanted to be quick to get to work. So he stirred up the Grecian Jews, say, hey, there's something wrong with this picture here. They're taking care of the Jewish widows before they're taking care of us. Is there some racial discrimination going on here? And then you read further in the book of Acts that there were other occasions where the, the believers would get stirred up against one another And division would come into the church. Division over so many things. When Peter was obedient to the Lord and went to the household of Cornelius and shared the gospel and that Gentile got saved, well, all those Jewish believers got all riled up. What are you talking about, Peter? This salvation is from Jesus who is a Jew and only for the Jews. Can you imagine the Son of God giving his life only for the Jews? God so loved the world, the world, every one of us, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we come to Acts 15, and there's another hurrah over this doctrine. Well, all of our lives we believed the law of Moses. And even though we're Christians, we can't forsake circumcision. That's the covenant sign and seal that we are the people of God. Hui. You know, we get so hung up on what we think we know is right. But is it right according to the Word of God? Yeah, it was right according to Moses. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we need to live under the greater law and embrace the greater law. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. These arguments continued all throughout history. And then we read in this passage of scripture which in its context is about another issue that came into the church at Rome. Along the same lines with the Old Testament laws that people wanted to believe they still needed to embrace. I'm going to skip over some notes here for the sake of time because I've got a lot to share this morning. But in Romans 14 and 15 we read that there was an issue between two groups of people. There were what Paul called the weak Christians, and then there were the strong believers. And there there was a lot of strife between them because the weak Christians didn't want to tolerate the strong Christians, and the strong Christians didn't want to tolerate the weak Christians. Who were the weak Christians? These were those who came out of Judaism that said, I can't let go of these dietary laws. I can't let go of these sacred holidays. We still need to observe these things. These are part of our faith. This is so very important to it. So these Jewish converts who grew up under the Mosaic law could not forsake those things. Paul was not condemning them either for that. What he is condemning, though, are these stronger Gentile Christians who never grew up under all of this legalism, And they happily embraced the grace of God. But they had little toleration for these weaker saints. And there was friction and separation between them. And Paul now needs to write them and admonish them that they are members of the same body. They need to hang tight together. They must not allow division in any way, shape, or form to come into the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is one. And Paul understood that carnal tendency that we all have in our hearts. That when somebody doesn't think or feel the way that we do, something rises up within us because after all, I'm right on this matter, right? And you're wrong. No, huh. you know, it's sad, Christians. What's going on in our world today is really, really sorrowful. But what's more sorrowful is when Christians are now in the mix. Because you're on either this side of the fence or this side of the fence. You don't want to take the vaccination or you do take the vaccination. Those who take it, believe in it with all their hearts. Those who don't want to take it, believe in all their hearts that they should not take it. And instead of us just saying, God, that's between them and you and not between them and me. And God bless them. No, no. We arch our backs. Well, who do they think they are? Now, is that the spirit of God? This is the very thing that the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Because when we allow these things to take place in our spirits, we are raising walls of division. We don't realize it, but the enemy is planting a seed of, can I tell you the truth of what it is? It's hostility and bitterness. Who do they think they are? I better stop because I could get going on that, but we need to keep moving on here. And so Paul prays this prayer. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we understand that that prayer is also the answer to the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17? What was on the heart of our Savior when he prayed that prayer right before he went to the cross? What was on his heart was the unity of his body. I wonder how grieved his heart is today. That as the body of Christ, we are divided by denominational lines. We are divided by political lines. We are divided by this pandemic. Satan throws any kind of thing in the world. People have split churches over the color of a carpet. Now how carnal, how fleshly can we be as Christians? How can that bring honor and glory to God? God help us. But Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by your name so that they may be one as we are one. But do you notice Jesus prayed that same prayer a second time? And in that second prayer, he brings it up to the present time, which includes all of us. I'm not asking on behalf of them alone. See, he was talking about his disciples, all of those who listen to him preach and teach that after he died and went back to heaven, that they would maintain a unity because now they are one in Christ. I'm not just praying for these Christians in this first century, but also on behalf of those who will at some point in time believe in me that all of them may be one. Did you hear that? May be one oh, I'm a Baptist, I can't associate with you Pentecostals, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm an eternal securitist, or I I believe in once saved, always saved, and I can't go along with your doctrine. It wasn't too many months ago that I had an ordained woman of God bring the word of God. She brought it powerfully, but there was someone in this church that grew up in a tradition that women were not allowed in the pulpit. He walked out of this church never to return. Because he felt like this church was in heresy. Because we allowed a woman to preach. Now is that an answer to the prayer of Jesus? Or is that a slap in the face to Jesus? And I'm not picking on that brother. I, I pray that he comes to the light and understands That God calls women and there's neither male nor female in the kingdom of God. Some of the greatest, most anointed preachers I know are women. And we want to discriminate and say, Paul said, women shall not teach. Well, you need to study the word of God and it's not my purpose to get into what he was saying there. And how we take these little verses of scripture and build these big doctrines around them. And not only doctrines, they become walls. And we separate ourselves as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now, does it get any closer than that. Jesus in the Father, the Father in Jesus. Jesus is praying, I want my body, I want every person at High Street Worship Center to have that same oneness with one another as we have, Father, with you and me. Now I want to ask you, do you feel that oneness? Or as you really examine your heart and as I examine my heart, have there been some walls? Have there been some biases? Have there been some prejudices? Well, I heard the pastor say this once upon a time and I think he believes that way and I don't believe that way and if that's the way he believes, then I I really, I'll respect him because he's a pastor, but I can't love him. You could say ouch if you can't say amen. That's okay. Well, we want to look at this really all important prayer that begins with these first words. Now, may the God who gives. You know, we have a great need this morning. When you look at the fracturing and the division and the strife at, in the body of Christ at large, what can fix that? Not a coffee clatch. <laughs> Uh, Not some kind of social gathering and party. It takes the grace of God. And he is the God who gives. Do you know that about God? Do you know that you know that you know that God is not the kind of God that desires to withhold any good thing from his children? I know we're talking about unity, and God is the one who can give this unity. But I want to encourage your heart today that, regardless of what it is that you need in your life, God is a giver. Uh, he is a giver, and the, te- the the testimony of the Scripture underscores it time and time again. John three sixteen: For God so loved that He gave. What did He give? his only son. He gave his best. He gave his, when we give, huh, should I say it? We think about how little can I give and God will still be pleased. You remember that story of Jesus when he was watching people put money in the treasury in the synagogue? Oh, there were people that were putting in big sums of money And then there was this poor little widow woman who put in two pennies. And Jesus said, she gave more than all of them. Why? They gave out of their abundance. All those large sums of money didn't hurt them in a little bit. But she gave out of her lack. She didn't even have it to give, but she still gave. And that's, that's how God gives. God gives abundantly. He gives all with all of his heart. He's not a stingy God. He's not a God that wants to withhold. He's a God who desires to lavish his children with every good and every perfect gift is from the Father of lights. First Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? It all came from God. Some of of us want to pat ourselves on the back. I've got what I have because I worked hard for it. Well, who gave you the strength to work hard? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you the favor to have the job that you have? It all comes from God. He gives lavishly. I want to tell you something. When I look back over my life, I am just amazed and awed at the goodness and the lavish grace of God. I grew up a very poor boy in Camden, New Jersey. But as I faithfully followed the Lord, obeyed the Lord, walked through the doors that he opened to me. That God blessed us over and over and over again. Kathy and I were married students in Bible school. We didn't know how we were going to pay our school bill. I worked while I went to school. And then on top of that, our firstborn came in my senior year. And I was making $25 a week. And I still had a school bill. When I graduated, there was not one red cent that I owed that school. I can't explain to you how that happened. But I want to tell you, it's because God is a lavish giver. He gives above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or ever, ever imagine. He's a giving God. His name is Jehovah Jireh. Is the Lord who provides. And if you doubt that God is a provider, think about this this morning. Everything that we needed to become a Christian, and what greater gift is there in all the world than the gift of salvation? Oh, how we take the gift of salvation for granted. If you're only thinking about that on Sunday morning, maybe you need to question your salvation. Because your salvation is something that has brought a radical change and transformation into your life. That that great salvation, the grace of God that has come into you, has taken you out of darkness and brought you out into light. It's lifted you out of the, 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 the grave of death and sin and shame and put you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, whereby every day of your life you can walk and talk with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the grace of God and you know how it happened it happened because he initiated and he gave us everything that we needed the only thing that we did the only thing that we contributed to the process was we gave our sin and we laid it on Jesus we needed forgiveness and he gave us forgiveness we needed righteousness and he gave us his righteousness we even needed repentance repentance How does a dead person repent? But God gives godly sorrow that leads us to repentance so that we could find that great salvation. For without repentance, there is no salvation. We even needed the gift of faith, and he gave us the gift of faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire package has been given us. Hallelujah! given us freely 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 he's a God who gives he gives all that we need Philippians 419 my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus I'm sorry I'm getting off on some rabbit trails there what did the Roman Christians really need in the light of the passage that we've read as our text this morning they needed two things Because there was friction, there was strife, there was division. So Paul is praying that God gives them perseverance. And that is also translated in uh, some Bible translations, endurance. And they also needed encouragement, which is also translated as comfort. Let's look more closely at these two graces that will protect us and safeguard us against strife and division in the body of Christ. I wonder wherever we get the idea that perseverance is something that we need to do. So you grit your teeth, and I'm just going to, oh, I'm going to like that person, even though I don't like them at all. And I'm going to overlook all the ways that they annoy me. I'm going to persevere through this. I'm I'm going to endure the fact that I need to see them on Sunday morning. That's not the perseverance that the scripture is talking about. It's not talking about biting the bullet and saying I'm hanging in there do you know without the grace of God that brings the perseverance and the endurance we could not persevere for 1 inch but God gives us the steadfast that we need and it all comes from him L- look at that word in verse 4 of that chapter of Romans 15 whatever was written in the past Paul says was written for our instruction don't throw out the old testament it's inspired by god and all scripture all scripture is profitable paul says the old testament is profitable for our instruction and as we're instructed we could have hope how through endurance through perseverance and through the encouragement of the scriptures what does this word endurance mean it means to bear up under pressure. And again, we cannot do that in our own strength. We are weak, we are frail, we need God to help us bear up under the pressures, pressures and the stresses of life. Now again, don't think that this perseverance means you're at the airport, your flight is delayed and you need to sit there for 3 hours. I know that's annoying, I know for those of us, especially who are impatient, guilty as charged, my wife will often say to me, honey, why are you in such a rush? Well, I have things to do, places to go, people to see. But the reality is there's no reason why I act like I'm in a crazy rush sometime. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation, I know, but Uh, Now, how did I get off on that rabbit trail? But uh, when when you're in these situations where you become impatient, and you say, okay, God, I'm going to persevere through this. No, that's not the perseverance because you're eventually going to hop onto a plane that very conveniently is going to take you to your next destination. And uh, what, what did you suffer while you were sitting there? What you suffered was your own impatience. But there are legitimate sufferings that come into our life. There are legitimate trials and tests and tribulations that come into our life. And God says, I want you to persevere through them. I want you to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I want you to keep bearing up. Under that trouble, that stress, that trial, and keep pressing on. And that's not just for Sunday morning. It's for when you go to work on Monday morning and the sky is gray and it's a blue Monday because you know you're up for your review and you know your boss doesn't like you. <laughs> But you're going to bear up under it because God is gracing you to endure and to persevere and to put a smile on your face and to know that regardless of outcomes, nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know when we have that confidence, saints? We could deal with whatever it is that comes into our life because it can't separate us from the love of God. We are secure In that love. Hallelujah. So if we ask God for endurance, then the strong believer is going to be able to persevere with the weaker brother. And the weaker brother is also going to be able to persevere with the stronger brother. And we're not going to get bent out of shape over secondary matters. Because let's face the reality. These things that we get bent out of shape over are secondary matters. Maybe in another month, another year, another few years, it won't matter at all. But yet the peace that we lost, the distress that we felt, the angst, the hostility, the anima you know, those things are from darkness and they darken our souls. God wants us to draw near to him so that we can walk in the light and be in the light and enjoy fellowship with him. But when we allow that darkness to come in, we cut ourselves off. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and endure and persevere. Yea, I may not agree with you. You may not agree with me. But we still love one another because we're bought by the blood. We belong to the same family of God. Endure. Hardness. And stress, bear up under those things. And then Paul adds this second word, encouragement, which is also translated comfort. This carries the idea of strength that we need in our inner man. To be encouraged, to be comforted is to be propped up. You know, sometimes we're cast down and we just need to be propped up. We need to be lifted up. We, we need to be encouraged When we feel like we're falling to to know God is there to prop us up. But sometimes we also need a brother or a sister to say, Brother, uh, the Lord's laid you on my heart, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm propping you up. Underneath are the everlasting arms, but we sometimes lose sight of it. And we all need to be encouraged. There's, There's not a person in this church that doesn't need to be encouraged. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. But let's be mindful where that encouragement really comes from we're thankful when we hear it from a brother or sister but Paul tells us in second Corinthians 1 and 3 the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is he he's the father of mercies and he is himself the God of all comfort and he's faithful because he'll whisper in the eye, the ear of that brother or sister Pray for sister so-and-so. Pray for brother so-and-so. And you have no idea the encouragement that that brings. Someone sent me an email this morning. They had no idea that it was a word that I needed to hear. Where did it come from? They were obedient servants, but it came from the God of all comfort. We're his children. He loves us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to pick us up out of the doldrums, out of that pit that the enemy wants us to wallow in and self-pity in and in the mire of the discouragement. And you know when you're down, the enemy has a way of just throwing all these other thoughts and ideas in your mind. This isn't even going, yeah, this is bad, but what about that and what about that and what about that and pretty soon we are just, Sunk in deep despair and in deep defeat. But God wants to bring his comfort this morning. How does that comfort also come? That email that came was not so much a word out of their mouth, but it was a word out of the mouth of God, who is the God of all comfort, who says we are comforted through the scriptures. So I want you to know this morning, if you need comfort... Don't get on the phone and dial your best friend. I know that helps, but why don't we go to where we're really going to find it? And you will be amazed you open this book and you start reading out of the Psalms and your soul is solaced and your heart is lifted and you're encouraged that my God is a refuge and a fortress he's a present help in the time of trouble therefore I will not fear though mountains be cast into the midst of the sea and the billows roar and roll there is a city whose builder and maker is God and I belong to him and I'm looking to that city and I'm traveling to that city and I'm going to remain steadfast and endure as God comforts me by the truth of His Word. I need to get running here. Be of the same mind with one another. God who gives, He wants to give us endurance, perseverance. He wants to give us encouragement and comfort so that we could be of the same mind with one another. That literally means to live in harmony with one another. Yeah, harmony, despite our differences, despite these secondary non-essential matters. And he's not saying you need to be a cookie cutter. You need to think exactly like everyone else. No, 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 God isn't. God made us all different. He made us unique. Some like chocolate, some like vanilla, and some like neither. They prefer strawberry. That's my favorite. But why why do we allow these things to disrupt the unity that God wants us to have? We're to be like-minded toward one another in the love of Christ. It's not my love. I don't have it in this natural self. It's what God sheds abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Do, Do we realize what a gift it is when we get the Holy Spirit? I feel sorry for those people who think the only thing good about the Holy Spirit is that you get a heavenly language. That's a wonderful gift, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but the gift of the love of God being shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Who makes Jesus real? It's the Holy Spirit. Who cries, Abba, Father? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, quickening our mortal bodies. It's the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. That puts the love of God in our hearts. That we could live in one accord with one another. You know what that means? It's not looking for points of disagreement. It's looking for points of common agreement. Okay, we may disagree on these scores, but where do we agree? You know, that might be good counsel for married couples. They major on all the things they disagree on. The, the 1% of the things that they disagree on, that's what we're always thinking about. What about the 99% of the things you do agree on? See how the devil is a liar? See how the devil wants to rob marriages of peace and joy? Is you, you, just, you just focus on those negative things when there's so much positive to rejoice in and to be glad over. And to be like-minded in the love of Christ. That because we love, we can overlook. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6. I keep mentioning this passage of scripture because it's such an important rule for our lives. That love is kind. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love does not hold grudges. Love does not hold bitterness. Love thinks the best. Believes the best. Love always is. That's the love that we need to have in our lives. That's the love that God has for us. And he says, I've given you my agape love, my selfless love. Now I want you to share that love with those all around you. Did you notice the repetition of those two words, one another? That's the golden thread that runs throughout Romans 12 through 15. In Romans 12, 10, we read, be devoted to one another. 12, 16, be the same mind toward one another. 13, love one another. 14, let us not judge one another. 14, verse 19, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. 15, verse 7, accept one another. 15, verse 14, you are able to instruct one another. What's Paul talking about? Our mutual responsibility to one another. And he lays it out very plainly in the passage of uh, chapter 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Guess what? This little finger belongs to the same body as my big toe. And if my big toe is hurting, that means something about my whole body is hurting. And we as Christians do not understand what the scripture is trying to say to us over and over and over again. You are part of the same body whether you are a Democrat or a Republican. You are part of the same body whether you got the vaccine or didn't get the vaccine. You're part of the same body whether you like chocolate or whether you like vanilla. We are part of the same body. And because we're part of the same body, do we care? Care less for any member of this body. I don't know about you, but I care about every. My, my wife tells me all the time, my wife has such a high pain tolerance. If I had some of the pain that she had, I'd be in the hospital. Because I had the slightest thing, honey, what's wrong with. Sometimes she will teasingly say, let's call the ambulance. But let's tell the truth. When things go wrong in our body, what's, what's that pain all about? But Do we realize? Whatever it is, I care about that, and I want that pain to go away. I want to nurture it. I want to encourage it. I want to make sure what I, I can do whatever I can do to make it better. But why is it that when other members that we don't think as much about that we don't really care for, we want to cast them aside. How do you cast this? Do I cut off my thumb? Do I cut off my foot? And yet in the body of Christ, we are doing that very thing. Do we understand why this prayer is so important? Why Jesus cried passionately to the Father, Father, make them one. Make them one, even as we are one. The devil wants to give us every reason in the book why we can't fellowship, why we can't love one another. The devil is a liar. Because if you succumb to that, then you are succumbing to a defeated Christian life because you can't have joy, peace, and victory in your life while you have hostility and animosity and ill feelings towards your brother. What does the scripture say here? This is according to Jesus Christ. Now this takes it into a whole nother ball game because this stuff isn't optional. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then what? We need to learn how to live like Jesus lived. He is our pattern. How did Jesus live? He did not live to please himself, did he? Romans 15 and verse 3. His focus was on what? Doing the Father's will. What was the Father's will for Jesus? Jesus, the Son of Glory, I want you to go down to that earth and become a servant. Not a king, a servant. And I want you to serve to the point of death. And so on the night before he was crucified, you find Jesus stooping, Bending at the stinky feet of his 12 disciples and washing those feet. And what does he say? He says, I've not come to serve, but to serve. And he also said, even as I have done to you, do also to one another. I've given you an example. Are there times in your life as a Christian when you say, Oh, Jesus, you're so beautiful. Jesus, you're so sweet. Jesus, everything about you is lovely. I want to be just like you. But you know, do you know what it is to be just like Jesus? It's taking a knife to your heart and dying to yourself. Dying to your rights, dying to your privileges, dying to your wants, dying to your thoughts that's not easy. And I will be the first to confess, I've got a long ways to go, but I know that is the demand of discipleship. This pattern is according to Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ live his life? It was never about him. It was always about the Father's will. It was always about putting himself in uncomfortable and ultimately in the most painful of positions when he hung on the cross. We're to love as Jesus loved with a sacrificial love. And Ephesians 5.2 tells us, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up. I don't know when was the last time I was willing to give myself up. I had a little spat with my wife yesterday, and I saw my old carnal nature rising up, proving to her how right I was and how wrong she was. But then the Lord convicted me and said, Are you living the life that Jesus called you to live? He gave himself up. Christians, we're really going to live the life Christ has called us to, we need to give ourselves up to the point where it brings us to suffering. Where Peter tells us we are to suffer as he suffered. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his foot. Jesus, I want to be just like you. Where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. Are we willing to go to the cross? Are we willing to be nailed there With him. When he was verbally abused, he did not return insult with insult. When he suffered, he never threatened retaliation. That's not me. That's not the carnal nature, but that's what God calls us to. And so I close with the challenge that the Apostle John gives us we are to walk as he walked. Walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Live the same lifestyle. So how, how do we live that lifestyle? Serve as he served. Love others as he loved. Suffer as he suffered. And walk as he walked. That's genuine Christianity. I want to be spiritual. I want to go deep in God. You know how you go deep in God? You go deep into the cross. That's where Christ-likeness lies. That's where we mirror the image of Christ. That's where he can then conform us to the image of his son because that is his ultimate goal. And when we do this, then we will be able to do what Paul says, with one mind, with one mouth, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And out of the Reformation came those glorious words. Solo dei gloria. Glory to God alone. Is that how we're living our lives? That every moment of every day, it's glory to God alone. When I'm down, when I'm up, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm angry, when I'm not angry. (laughs) All to the glory of God. And if it's the glory of God, you need to say, hey, you better put that anger away because that's not to the glory of God. God help us this morning to be and to do the best that we can by opening our hearts to God and allowing him to live his life in and through us. Amen. We're going to close the service this morning by singing a very old song that was very popular in the 70s.